My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. Welcome, everybody. On today's episode, I talk to Al, the charity DM who doesn't care for storylines and focuses on prepping his locations. We talk about how he keeps his notes digitally and how he uses sound effects and a variety of other things to create a very immersive environment for his players. So if you are really looking to figure out how to improve your game technically, he's got some tips and tricks for you. Then we talk a little bit about background music and how to add that in. And then to finish up some of the conversations, we get into some faction mechanics and moral choices and how he likes to antagonize his players a little bit uh, and make them really think about what they're doing. Before we get into the episode, we've got a couple of housekeeping items. First off, remember that we are running a design competition right now, so if you have monster ideas for our fantasy desert metropolis of called Janan, make sure you check out the Google form link in the show notes so that you can go out and submit your uh, submission. Uh, submit your monsters, give us your creatures, tell us a little bit about them. Um, there's a cash prize, $10 again to either Amazon or drive through RPG. Multiple submissions are allowed. So if you've got a lot of ideas, start writing them down, start entering them. Uh, the more entries you put in, the more likely you're going to get picked. Second on the list, before the show, Al and I were talking a little bit, and he mentioned that he was uh, really impressed with how I've been able to keep up a weekly schedule, so thank you, Al. And I just want to say that I don't think all the credit can go to me. Um, I think one of the biggest motivators for me to continue to get the show out every week is actually the listeners and the guests that I have on and all of the listeners. It's been a pretty active community and a a steadily growing community and I really enjoy that and I really like to see that and it's just been a lot of fun. So I just want to say thank you to you guys for tuning in, for interacting and discussing and playing games on the discord server um, and just tuning in every week because you guys are really what's making me keep doing this so i love it i'm having a lot of fun and i hope that we have many many more episodes and with that let's jump into the interview welcome i have al with me today hello how's it going i am doing good hope you're doing good Al, why don't you tell me, or us, a little bit about yourself and how you got started in tabletop role-playing games. Well, where to start? Um, as far as DMing, I'm, I've am i only been a... I started being a charity DM, is what I call it, at the start of COVID. I saw lots of looking for group posts as soon as every, all the lockdowns were starting to happen. And eventually I just figured, you know what, I'm going to start my own server. So I have a tiny little microscopic Discord server. And I went and I posted to all these people who were looking for a game uh, to ease the social uh, isolation uh, that they could come and join. I built up a fairly large server. It sort of died down. Now it's just one or two main groups. Um, But I was running two groups weekly, uh, so two times a week uh, for two different groups around the year during COVID just to give people some sort of outlet. 
um, and it actually turned international. We had people from Canada, we had people from California and the east coast of the states, and my furthest player was over in Singapore during that time. So uh, I'm fairly recent to DMing, and I sort of did it out of necessity. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's me on the DM front, and then I've been playing for years on and off. I did a bit of Pathfinder, I did a bit of D&D, a lot of D&D. And uh, outside of that, I work in live video production. What system are you running over on your server? Uh, mainly 5th edition D&D. Uh, it's what I was used to, it's fairly easy, it's got the biggest user base as far as I understand. It's easy to integrate people and just keep a story going. And what kind of, do you do um, like one shots or are you doing mostly like kind of solid campaigns? Definitely solid campaigns. Um, actually, I started off the one group that I'm still running. We started off with a, a small adventure called Frozen Sick. It's from a Wild Mount mo module. And it's sort of interesting. The adventure is only 20 pages, 20 pages long or less. And it took them a full year to get through. So... Now I'm running Curse of Strahd for them, which is a 300-page volume. And we'll see how long it takes them to get through that. But we get fairly deep with the... We're not full role-playing. We're still quite mechanical. But all the rationale for why we choose one thing over another is highly role-play dependent. So it's an interesting blend. And I find D&D is allowing us to get through that. With that and also campaigns, like... So it's maybe more so uh, the players maybe aren't necessarily doing like accents or like getting super into character, but they are still concerned about kind of like the writing and like the backstory and stuff that they have for their character and how how that information would inform um, their current decisions. Precisely. That's you're putting in better words than I am, but that's exactly it. Like I'm not a DM where I say, here's my storyline. Yeah, Curse of Strahd is a good example. I don't go, here's your storyline, go run the paces. I just say, hey, this is the town. You've got a tavern, you've got a blacksmith, you've got it. Like, I set the stage, and I set different things that they can do. But my players can ultimately not go after Strahd by the end of it. They can be doing something else the entire time. I, le I like doing player-led stories, and I just provide this sandbox. And they, through their character interactions, and they, through their character write-ups already know what the character would do and that leads to all the chaos i need to run a game do you find it difficult to react to some of the things that the players do or is that kind of where you feel you shine i used to think it was difficult i used to think it was really difficult but uh i figured out a little hack for me in my brain is i won't do prep like you often hear uh, other DMs do prep where they're building encounters and they're writing storylines and all this sort of stuff. I will literally just sit down and I'll look and I'll flesh out the location. So if it's a tavern, then okay, well, we've got the tavern. It looks kind of like this. I'll do a general layout in my head. I'll put a couple NPCs in there, not even fleshed out, just super lightly put in there. And then at that point, the improv becomes incredibly easy. It's just... It's like breathing. You know, they give me something to work with and I just adapt it into the story or I shut them down because that's what the location would do. And I don't have to be thinking, oh, how does it affect my story down the line? No, we're in this location. I know everything about the location. 
let's just let it play out and it becomes very fluid because of that and that's honestly something that i've kind of learned to do um i've mentioned my star wars one shot in the past but basically and now that i think about it this is actually just kind of like a big dungeon um but just kind of prep everything in there and then drop them in and then it from that point this is kind of like a sandbox level that they can they can interact with it however they want to um it doesn't really matter what they do because i should have some at least reasonable reaction to anything that they do right like if they go start shooting the place up then a bunch of stormtroopers going to come out or if they sneak through and cut the power then all the systems are down or whatever you know and and really just knowing what's in the location and and maybe some possibilities just to let you react oh 100% 100% in fact uh listening to your older episode where you broke down a level like your intro level that you'd run players through um that's exactly how i prep um actually i'm probably making more work for myself than otherwise running curse of strahd because there's just so many directions they can go and what i do is i prep each location individually with all of the npcs with everyone and every eventuality without jumping into what happens if my players do this just saying Sort of, you know how uh, uh, Skyrim was touting how if you kill an NPC, someone else takes their place. Like there's a natural order to how the NPCs will react, depending on what you do. Sort of the same thing. It's just here is everyone's motivations on just a surface level. Here is all the location and what it's meant to do and what will happen if it breaks, so to speak. And then if they go in and they pull that lever, well there's a logical progression that I can figure out instantly because it follows a certain set of rules across the whole location. How do you like store that? Do you have like a big notebook or an online document where you're like typing things up or do you have note cards or what's kind of your process for, or is it all in your head? Do you just, how do you keep all of that information? Cause it is a lot of prep still. Oh, it is tons. Um, so I have a love hate relationship with uh, OneNote. Once, you know, when you write something down, you sort of, it internalizes, there's a psychological term for it, but as soon as you put pen to paper, you are actually memorizing the information. And so part of it is that, like, I'll take the book and honestly, the campaign module, I hate how it's written. It's all over the place and it has details just swept under the rug that are actually quite significant um, and that you can't find them on a quick scan or a search. So... What I do is I sort of take it chapter by chapter and I sort of chew on it mentally. And then I regurgitate it out into a OneNote and in my own words to, so that I can understand it later. And just that process helps me memorize a whole lot of things. But then I also have a OneNote uh, notebook that has cross hyperlinks for everything. So it's like, oh, okay, well, they go to this town. I can go to that town in my notebook and I can see the list of significant NPCs. And if they interact with one of them, I can just click on the name and it pulls up the uh, write-up I've done on that NPC, which is a different page somewhere else in the, the document. And using a combination of those tools, I can look up stuff if I'm failing, but I've also ingrained enough things that I can just keep running and BS until I found the right information kind of started messing with OneNote specifically because of the hyperlinking capability. Um, 
that's not something that's necessarily easily done in like a Word document. I mean, you can do links, but just the organizational structure of a of a Word document just isn't great. Um, but Word OneNote specifically, yes, I I was doing that for some of my Star Wars stuff and doing like here's all of my planets and here's like maybe some major districts in the planets and here's like people that would be in those districts and uh, and just kind of like going down narrowing in on the different pieces but then being able to kind of jump back and forth between npcs and factions and stuff and then that campaign never actually took off so um i just have a i just have a one note i didn't get i didn't get too too detailed i was only kind of going like a session ahead of myself um but i have it all and that's you know if i was to run a long-term campaign again i probably would try to do one note just because i like that linking aspect of it well, and the thing I like about OneNote as well is, let's say I have a page on there for who I call Granny Momo. And, you know, we'll avoid some spoilers here, but, you know, Granny Momo. First of all, I can have a page just for her where I can have a description and whatever I want to write up. It can be text. Then I can go and I can paste images or screenshots into there directly. And then if I've done a specific voice for Granny Momo, I can take, I often record, actually, I exclusively record my sessions because I'm terrible at taking notes and running a game at the same time. So I record the sessions so I can review them later. And so I'll hear the voice that I used for Granny Momo, and I can take a little sound bite of that and implant it as an MP3 or whatever into that document. So now I've got text, I've got images, I've got audio, and I could even put video in there if I wanted to. Um, and it's just, it's an incredibly versatile tool once you get over a few of its shortcomings. What are some of the shortcomings that you have issue with? Mainly that if you think in any other creative way other than a binder structure, you're absolutely screwed. Like, just absolutely. Like, as long as you can make it work as far as everything's a page, and a page belongs in a section, and a section belongs in this binder, um, if you can think like that, it will work perfectly for you. If you somehow need to work more creatively or visually, it's going to fail you. The other thing is, I would love to be able to write up like a page of something and then send that one page to a player so that they can be they can have the backstory for this particular location because their character would know it. But the sharing options are just abysmal. Uh, you can share the entire binder or nothing at all. Like there's no in between. So oftentimes I'm working around that to get the information aggregated to my players. And sometimes you maybe don't want them to know. There might be like secret information or DM notes that you have on a place that you don't particularly oh. want them to see. Exactly. So I think there are be probably better tools out there for sharing the information. But as far as keeping the information, as long as you can think in a structure like that, it's the most fluent tool I've found so far. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I was kind of experiencing the same thing as just like, how do you organize it when I was setting that document up? And I kind of switched around how I was structuring my sections and my pages and everything just to like, I want it all here, but I want to be able to jump. Yeah, the hyperlinking is worth it all by itself. And then um, I run over Discord. So what I'll often do is I'll have, actually, my setup's a little bit wonky because I try and provide a quite immersive environment. And I found that actually doing it over the internet has led to a very good result with that. But uh, one of the things I end up doing is I take from OneNote, I can just copy paste anything directly into chat quite easily. It's 
wonderful for that. Oh, another limitation. OneNote, you cannot copy text out of OneNote and paste it into Discord without sending it as an image. So often I have to copy the text out of OneNote, paste it into Notepad or a similar text editor, copy it out of there, and then paste it into Discord for it to show up as text and not as an image, which is just it's weird. Very thoughtful of them. <laughs> <laughs> so you play over Discord. Do you end up using any other tools like Roll20 or any of those? Yeah, I do. I do a few things. So first of all, we meet over Discord uh, just in a general, just a general uh, voice chat room. We don't use cameras. But I've found that engagement in the game has gone up when I create an immersive environment because we're not there in person. Like when you're playing an in-person game, you've always got the cell phone user and this sort of thing, which there has to be a social contract there, uh, whether you use cell phones or not. But oftentimes just the peer pressure of everyone else around the table sort of keeps everyone engaged. But when you're playing over voice, you know, you, you're taking turns speaking because the voices don't mix. You can't hear two people at the same time. And because of that, I get, I found that players were clocking out and then coming back in and having to be caught up on the story or what's going on. So what I started doing is I started making it as immersive as I possibly could. And I saw a, a great result from it. So we start off with Discord and we use that just for voice now. And then I use uh, owlbear.rodeo for my maps because they're very simple. There's no automation. It's just grabbing pieces and moving them around and you can do fog of war and that's about it which is great because it simulates an actual tabletop experience not some pre-programmed experience that you have to learn and also it's you know it's free but then additionally what i did is i'm like i said i'm a live video editor i put on broadcast shows tedx that sort of thing and one of the tools i use for that professional work is called vmix it's sort of like OBS, but it's professional grade instead of open source, hacked together, community based. And what I will do is I will turn my camera, because none of us are using cameras, so I'll use my Discord camera as an output from my vMix, and I'll play a cinemagraph. I found this guy who does cinemagraphs, just painted art of a location, inspirational art. And it has some moving elements, some fog or something blinking in the background or some twinkling lights or something. And I'll put that as my camera that everyone can see to give them a visual sort of something to latch onto. Then I use Spotify, I patch Spotify in, and I use that for music playlists that are specific to each location. I'm trying to get a Pavlovian response to each location so that's not, oh wait, we're in what tavern again? No, you're in the Blue Water Tavern because this is the music for it. And they pick up on that. Um, so between the cinemagraphs, between the music, I patch my own voice through, and then sometimes I'll do sound effects. Like if they're in the town of Valaki, I'll put, I'll put the chickens on and all this sort of stuff, pre-recorded file. And since I've done that, I haven't had to repeat myself of what's going on outside of just, I said something in a funny accent, they couldn't hear it, which just, it's rewarded leaps and bounds. And, uh... Yeah, so there's my rant about how I do it all. I use a fair number of tools, um, some of them professional, and it takes a whole lot of work to get the session set up. 
you said that you felt like you maybe weren't the most qualified, but I think you do more than most DMs in terms of running a, a game. And that sounds like an awesome environment to be playing in. So your players are definitely lucky. Thank you very much. Uh, these tools are easy for me to use, so I, I use them. But how, how did you patch in like single sound effect files? I actually, I turned my microphone. So right now I've got a microphone that goes into a mixer and that mixer I've set Discord to listen to that mixer. In my software, when I'm running a, an actual session, what I typically do is, instead of telling Discord to listen to this microphone, I tell vMix, my editing software, to listen to the microphone, and I mix myself in so that the volume of my music and the volume of my mic is appropriate so that we can still have ambiance, but they can still hear what's going on. And then I tell Discord to listen to a virtual audio line from vmix so my microphone is always active and it's always playing music um whether or not i'm talking but i just keep it at a low enough level everything that they hear is coming directly from you that makes sense um it, it's very similar then to how i'm actually doing my recording then right because it is kind of the reverse actually so i okay. have a mixing software voice meter banana freebie um and so in order to record my voice and your voice, I have the mixer. Um, let's see. Discord is picking up my microphone, so that gets sent to you. But Discord is listening to the virtual version, the virtual line, which is the basically the output from the software. And then the software is taking in the Discord and me and piping it into one Oh, nice. Another virtual line that goes into Audacity to record. But you're kind of doing like the opposite, right? Like you're mixing yourself and then Discord thinks it's listening to a microphone, but it's actually a, a virtual line that's got all, it's got you, it's got the music, and then any sounds or anything that you play. Just like on your desktop, I assume, right? Like you can just play anything. Nearly precise. Accurate, but nearly precise. Uh, basically, everything I play is coming from vMix, not from my desktop. So... I can actually load up a web page and listen to a YouTube video and it won't enter the mix that my players hear over Discord and it won't enter the recording because everything has to be a source in order for it to be incorporated. So what I'll do is I'll go to like, there's a virtual audio tabletop uh, website that is uh, open source and everything. It's really great actually. And uh, so I will go and I will record, I'll spend 15 minutes or so recording the ambiance for a location, save it as MP3, load it into my software, and then uh, when I want it playing, I don't play it on my desktop, I actually uh, activate it in my software. And it's already part of the mix, and I've already set its levels, I have an audio mixer that's part of the software, and I've already preset all my levels. So I can just hit play and loop, and it will go on indefinitely. Got it. So it's just kind of a function of vMix, probably because it's such a high-end professional piece of software. It just has all those capabilities built in. Yeah, it's it's basically, if you imagine OBS, it looks and sounds very similar to OBS. It's just the R&D that's gone into it, the stability that's included in it, and a lot of the tools that are already in it. You don't have to add plugins to make it do advanced things. But it's basically just a really advanced version of OBS. Hopefully the listeners are okay with the like hyper technical episode. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a technician by trade. Everything I do has to do with technical. No, this is great because it's 
it's a lot of things and and bits of information that like I didn't even know that audio mixing was really a thing until I started trying to figure out like how do I actually record the audio and get my voice in there at the same time. So it's just a thing that people may not even be aware of and that they can even do with their games, right? So knowing is part of the battle. Yeah. And actually on that note, I I will say anyone who wants to up their game, because I know uh, Google just shut down uh, Groover or whatever, like one of the biggest music bots on Discord. I just found that out this morning. And so if people are searching for a replacement, if you get a virtual audio cable, um, you can take any application on your desktop and reroute it into that audio cable, that virtual one, and then tell uh, Discord to listen to it. Now you've got music that's not going to get pinged for copyright. It's not going to get shut down because it's a bot that's been asked to cease and desist. You can just pipe it directly in from your Spotify or whatever your player of choice is uh, easily and quickly. Oh, no, I'm just saying I would highly recommend that anyone who's trying to incorporate an added level of immersion with music, um, instead of using the bots, I find they're a bit clunky. Just get yourself either a mixer like what you have. You said you had a free one, banana something or another? Voice meter banana. Uh, get yourself something like that um, or another free virtual mixer or an audio cable. And the whole point is you just take two sources, your microphone plus your music source. You pump them together if you have a mixer, you can actually adjust the levels nicely. And your microphone in Discord just becomes the music playback plus the DM's voice all in one. So that bot that you were talking about is called Groovy. Um, and that is actually the one that I used in the past. So that is a bummer. Um, but I, I do get what you're saying with the clunkiness, though, because when I was using Groovy, you can only you can set up like a playlist almost or like tracks that you want it to play and you can set them to loop and stuff but then like it was really a pain if i wanted to switch to like combat music or something because then i'd have to like send it commands and sometimes it would like mess up um and now that i'm a little bit more familiar with the voice mixing and um the virtual cables and stuff which actually when i installed voice meter it also makes you install a virtual cable as well um, okay i I remember I had a little bit of issues when I was installing it at first. I think it does it automatically or at least prompts you for the install. It's a separate install, but I think it downloads it for you. Um, so that may be a decent option for people if they want to play around with it. It took me a good hour or two to get to like really understand what was happening with voice meter. So, uh, but I also have no experience in, in audio mixing. So um, that's fair. Even though apologies for a super technical episode, the thing I found is people are not willing to get their teeth into this technical stuff, which is actually fairly simple and straightforward once you understand some basic concepts. Um, until then, it's complicated. But the more technically proficient you are as an online GM, the more immersive an experience you can give your players. So if you're wondering, well, should I add funny voices or should I add a more branching storyline or maybe you know you come up with all these ideas honestly online the best thing you can do is become more technically proficient so that they're not hearing you go um okay and where's that button and oh i need to write this piece of code and then okay there we go okay guys let's get back into the scene and that's sort of where i think if i were to give 
anything being as a newer GM. So I don't have a lot of 20 year old experience playing the game. But if I were to give anything, it'd be become technically proficient for online. And uh, actually, I'm going to send you an image. I don't know if you want. This is what my screen looks like when I'm running a session. This is actually three different screens uh, that I have hooked up to my computer. Essentially, I'm running a mix. You can see my vMix right beside my Spotify. And then I've got my notes on the OneNote. And I've got uh, Discord open where my players are pretty meta. They like to type messages at each other and comment on scenes that are unfolding in front of them that they're not part of um, all the time. And then I've got a map display where I control all the what the players are seeing. And the more you become more technically proficient in this stuff, the more seamless you can give your players. And they just get their teeth right into it. I will say, I'll make sure that this image is somehow included with the show notes. Um, I will say that when I did my Star Wars one shot, I did ambient like space station music, background music. Um, and even that, like, it doesn't seem like much. And it was honestly a lot of like static and some like clunky machinery noises and stuff, like just super dull. But for yeah. whatever reason, just that little bit of kind of constant background noise really helps helps you feel in the moment or in the scene, kind of like a video game too. Like if you mute the music, it's really easy to get pulled out. And this wasn't anything flashy, right? It was just a, like a, a two hour loop of like ambient background space, space station music, right? So not flashy, not like tons of melody and, and instruments and stuff. It was just, just garbage background noise basically. And just, and then like, as soon as we shut it off, like when we were done with the session, we shut it off, we were just talking. It was like, oh man, I, I kind of liked, like you said, with silences and pauses and stuff, when you have that music in the background, it, they don't feel as long. And they let you kind of think without getting like completely pulled out of the experience. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually, you bring up a good point there because the biggest thing I find the music does it sure it sets the tone. Sure. It provides entertainment, but really what it does is it makes co players comfortable with not saying something because then they can take that extra 10 seconds or 30 seconds and think what they really want to do as a character. When they can do that, then you get the gold gems. You know, like, um, I had a ship, that, it went for a bit long, but I had a ship ride in the first adventure. And uh, the the players, they got into this whole mystery with the ship. It was, it, was, it was another one of these things where I planned the location super hardcore and with way too much detail that they will probably never find, but it informs how I, as a GM, play the sh the location. So they're on a ship and they find out all sorts of fun stuff about it, but they only found out fun stuff about it because I was willing to let them sit and stew in it for a while. And they went, oh, well, my character would reasonably go and do this. Oh, and mine would do that. And lo and behold, the goblin paladin decided that he was going to stab the ship. And uh, that led to an entire three sessions worth of gameplay as they tried to investigate why the ship did not scratch. This wooden ship did not scratch no matter what they did to it. And it led to a whole alternate quest line. But that sort of chaos was not going to happen unless I gave them that time to just stew in it. And that 
wasn't going to happen unless they felt comfortable. And silence, they would not have been comfortable just letting silence reign for a bit. And like you said, when there's when that background noise is going, there's never really truly a silent moment, so it doesn't it doesn't feel as awkward when people aren't talking. Exactly. You mentioned a little bit ago that there's some sort of like a tabletop site or something that has like was it like sounds or something? Yeah, actually let me see if I can pull that up. It's I found it via Reddit years ago. Um let's see, tabletop okay, here it is. So it's simply tabletopaudio.com. And this guy, his mission, he plays uh, RPGs with his kids, apparently. And he found that his kids were super distracted because they were under 10 years old. And he was having a hard time reining them in and keeping them into the story, despite them liking the game. And so he went, well, I'm an audio engineer. Let me make up some ambient sounds for my kids to be part of. And he found as soon as he started playing these at the table, around the table, his kids, all of a sudden, their imaginations just lit on fire. And they were constantly engaged with what's going on. So he does a really good job. He's got a lot of pre-made stuff. So if you just don't know what you want, like I'm looking at the web page here and there's like a an arcane clockworks, which I can imagine being used for like a uh, a Blades in the Dark sort of game. And there's a court of the count you know this is sort of premixes but then you can also go into the sound pad which is just you can go to whatever theme you want so you can pull up like uh oh let's do a steampunk and you launch that sound pad and now you've got all the sounds that he's generated that go into his mixes available to you so you can make your own mix of background audio and uh and one-off hits of music or whatever gosh i feel like so i'm i'm browsing the site as well i feel like i i stumbled upon this at some point as well because it look it looks familiar but then i must have just forgotten about it or wasn't quite ready to use it um but i'm gonna have to play with this yeah there's a bunch of stuff there's uh uh sci-fi stuff there's some iron sworn starforge stuff there's like some Wuxia, like Wuxia Tea House. Um, <laughs> he's got a lot of stuff here. So yeah, okay. I'm definitely going to be messing with this. And I'll make sure to put a link in the description. It looks like there maybe is a Patreon as well for like additional uh, yeah. access to it doesn't, stuff. I don't think it gives you additional access. Um, I think what it mainly is, is you get everything right up front. But the understanding that it costs money to host and host a server with all this stuff on it, uh, it costs. So you can buy him a coffee or help pay for a month's worth of uh, hosting or something like that. Is what I think goes on. But let's just check here. It looks like there's some bonus alternate versions of tracks. Oh, yeah. Actually, you're right. I'm just checking uh, out his Patreon here. But that looks like about it. It looks like even at the lowest level, like it. I think you maybe get access to everything. He's got quite a few people as patrons, which is awesome. It's great to see uh, creators of stuff like this having a ton of support so that they can offer a lot of it for free. Well, it's such good value. Like I'm using, I'm basically using his sound pad. He's actually got uh, on his sound pad, he's got Castle Raven, which I, you know, sort of sounds like a, uh, a copyright dodging uh, Castle Raven loft, Curse of Strahd sort of thing. Um, 
and I'm using almost exclusively his sound pads for making the different towns, the different sounds, because each town in uh, Barovia will have a different set, a different sound associated to it, um, based on sort of the descriptors and how I fleshed out the village. So I'm just going in here, and I'll play with it for an hour, and then I'll do a 15-minute recording session with it, where I just patch it into a virtual cable, into OBS or something, record a video of it, and then turn that into an MP3 for use in my software. Um, and so with the sound pads, are you able to kind of like loop like sounds and stuff then, kind of? Yeah. Like kind of yeah. the gist of it? That's exactly it. Like when you go to a sound pad, you can start up, you know, there's a lot of ambient sort of noises. Like you can get some rain happening or some, you know, like just some general ambiance. And then you can add points of interest, whether it's dishes clattering in the tavern or lightning striking outside the door or, you know, maybe there's a howl of a dog out in the woods. And so you can what I often will do is I will loop certain sounds to build my ambient bed and I'll mix them because it comes with a mixer in like every sound you can adjust the volume of it and so I'll mix my ambient bed and then I will go ahead and I'll add one-off hits of whether it's that lightning strike or dragon roar or whatever we want it to be and I'll sit there and I'll manually I won't loop those I'll just manually trigger them and stop them throughout 15 minutes and then uh, I'll take that file that I recorded and I'll find a good looping point for it cut it do a crossfade export it and then now I've got a looping file or a file that I can loop in vmix indefinitely sure so you're you're basically creating your own loops then that is super cool I'm self-mixing just because again it comes down to the immersion and that's um, shoot, there's something else it keeps coming back to me and I can't figure out what I'm trying to say here. But like our game is super weighty. Every choice matters in the sense that, okay, you know, I'm terrible at mechanics. Every time I try and adjust the mechanics, my players are always pointing out holes in it and helping me correct it. But uh, what I love doing is I love taking exactly what they've written in the book and then expanding it out. And sometimes I'll expand it out with stuff from uh, Reddit and other places. People have come up with great content, and I make it my own. I sort of blend them two together. But my goal is always to put my characters into a, a oh-shoot moment. I'll keep it PG here, but an oh-shoot moment where they've got choices, and they can technically take any choice. But... I've done it where my players are calling me a bastard after the session because I've made them make some really tough choices. And that, to me, that's the fun of D&D. That's the fun of an RPG is, sure, yeah, no, we can tell a story, but I'm always going to try and find a way to make a tough moral or emotional choice in there that you can tackle it however you want. I'm going to be flexible to the way you process it, but it's yours to process. And I find all of these other tools, they are completely in service to that oh shoot moment. And that's an interesting point. I know I've I've never really done anything that's been like super morally difficult, right? There's usually like a, we're going to go save these people or I have to recover this thing. Um, do you have either like an example of something or like how to set one of those moments up or, or kind of maybe what your structure is for planning those moments? I have a few tricks up my sleeve. I've worked in film and writing for a little while, so I, I have a few tropes that I use. 
for instance, and maybe if people are playing Curse of Strahd, I'll keep it as spoiler-free as possible, but maybe skip ahead a little bit. But at one of the initial locations in Curse of Strahd, you are given uh, a building where there's someone who's been locked up. There's someone who's the caretaker, and there's someone who's been locked up for an awfully long time. And they are effectively starving because they're no longer mortal, but they're not full vampire. And they haven't been fed any blood because their caretaker knows what happens if you feed them blood. Whole sort of back and forth there. And in this in the book, it was written as, oh, this is a creature he's going to he's going to be nice if he's forced to, but he's going to escape the first opportunity possible. Um, but he's never going to fight, and he's just very bare bones. And I went, okay, well, it doesn't make sense that he's been down there for two months, and he's in the state. Like, the way they're describing it, that sounds like a two years or a 20 years thing, and these guys can't die by starvation, so I made it 20 years. So that makes it ups the ante if they find out the information. Then secondly, um, he's helpless. He's, like, he can hit hard, but the way he acts, he got one hit into the party like the the party heard about what was going on and they immediately decided we're going to kill him and but then the other members of the party decided no we don't want to kill him so now i've got to divide in the party where there's the practical get it done it's for the greater good and we've got the emotional we can't kill a helpless creature happening and it was almost an even split down the party so i already had that drama going on then when they get down there everything's in blackness so they're trying to discover and they're all worried and they're all going in like a horror film and you know music and ambiance to match of course and when they discover him he talks reasonably to them but they're still set on their way of killing him but he's talking reasonably so now i'm swaying the other emotional party members and then one of them takes the first strike and they push him they push him he fights back, but only once. And then the rest of the time, he's begging for mercy. So now, throughout the whole thing, that fight lasted, in D&D terms, it lasted a few rounds. In real life, it lasted half an hour or more. And the whole time, I had my players doubting the decisions that they were making because he's not fighting back, but we've proven that he's vampire spawn. But he's not fighting back, and he's begging for mercy. He just needs some food, and then he's been abused, and you know they started rationalizing back and forth. And then at the crooks of it, it was funny because the one player who had deliberately not done anything but buff the other players, like she did not want any part in this killing, she was starting to lose it. She finally went, okay, fine, you guys aren't going to let up and I can't change your guys' mind or whatever. She tries to put him out of his misery quickly, she just throws another, and she threw the lightest thing she could, it was like a sacred flame or something, really light, and it ended up being the killing blow. And the fallout from that was just intense, as they didn't know how to make heads or tails of the whole situation. So I'll, I'll put them in these sort of situations where they don't feel good doing what they're doing, but I didn't tell them to do it. They decided, like, there was, ultimately there was a redemption arc in there if they had pursued it. But they set their minds and they went the other way. And it's just natural progression that got them debating and got them morally confused through the whole process so that's one way i do it is i just let them see the full consequences there 
And then the other way is I love to tie in, um, how do you say this? Like there's a, there's a seer later down. And what I did is I took each person aside and gave them a fortune that was specific to their character. It was where they've come from and where they might go is sort of the two halves of it. And, uh, of course, being a seer, you have to make it a little bit cryptic and have double meanings in there and all this sort of stuff. And they walked out from that session. They're going, we don't know who to trust. We don't know if we should trust each other. We think we should trust each other. But then who else do we trust? And how do we go about this? And they started just, it was a rich debate right afterwards. That's sort of two examples that I have. Um, I can go in depth about the second one more, but. Oh, I signed the, the first one with the vampire. Um really interesting because you take a situation where you could have said you know here's the deal there's this vampire it's locked up you know how it needs you to go kill him right like very clean just this here's the thing just do it but then you you really flipped that on its head to say okay here's the thing that the players are most likely going to want to do this thing how do we take it and twist it in a way where they still may want to do that thing, but they're not going to feel good about that decision, right? And then the making him helpless and making him beg and stuff, and just really kind of getting that like gut wrenching, like this on paper is the right decision, but it just feels all wrong. Yeah, and that's where I like. It's not about making my players feel bad because I'll do the reverse as well. I'll let, oh, I like letting them feel good. I'm I'm my player's biggest fan. And I want them to succeed. So it's not always about making them feel bad, but they are in a depressing land where no matter how right you try and do things, you're always doing it wrong. Like there's always some corruption. There's always some problem with it. It's a hopeless environment. So for me, it's always about seeing if I can bring it. Like it can be one dimensional. Every encounter as written is a very one dimensional thing. And it's always about seeing if I can bring in another dimension sort of as a complementary or contrasting and that way it just it feels meatier it's one of the reasons just like i take and i over prepare environments and locations and characters npcs simply because it informs me and makes improv far easier but secondly if they do the digging i'm not going through my notes and going oh yeah this is joe and he lives on billy road and he i guess is the blacksmith is like, no, this is Hendrik. He has three daughters, Emilia and uh, Varsa and another one. And they're all working together to try and keep this blacksmithy alive. And they all have a unique interest and personality that can get developed and improv as my players dig deeper. But I already have the foundation there. Um, and that allows me to always bring that extra dimension into uh, whether it's a combat scene or a social scene. I always think of it as a scene. And how can I add more depth and breadth to it? And having those kind of motivations in the background also help you inform decisions, right? Because if they do something that would directly go against, for example, the livelihood of the the blacksmith or the yeah, as a as a business, they're probably going to try to avoid doing those things, or vice versa. If they can do something to advance that, they're going to be more likely to accept things or or do things of that nature but knowing specifically what their goals are is going to help to inform that inform that improv 
Exactly. And it can be in simple ways as well, because, for instance, um, my players were trying to bury someone properly and cast a certain repose spell to make sure that they didn't come back to life as a vampire or whatever. And uh, my cleric's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just it's 20 silver uh, as a material cost. It costs 20 silver and then we can do it. And then I go and, well, that's 20 silver's worth of silver dust. And that led to basically half a session of them trying to figure out how to reduce silver coins into dust. Because, sure, you could crush them over and over again, but that's not a very effective way. It turns them into crumbs, not dust. And so eventually they had to go down to the blacksmith and they had to pay the blacksmith to reduce all the coins down to dust, which then got them a reputation that they like grinding up money. And in Barovia, there's not always a ton of silver around, so now they're realizing that to make holy water and to cast some of these repose spells, they're not going to be able to do it. They have a finite number, because they got lots of gold, but they don't have lots of silver. And when their silver change runs out, they might be out of silver entirely in the land of Barovia, the land of vampires and werewolves. Right, that makes so, sense. Yeah, and and it's funny because silver not being normally the most valuable of of materials, but there being a, a very important resource for them. Oh, 100%. So it's all about, um, like, I love games such as uh, Dishonored and uh, Frostpunk and these ones where they just make you make hard choices. And no choice is ever correct. It's one of the things I love about the, the Witcher 3 game. Um, it's the only one I've played, to be honest. But I love it because you don't know what the right choice is. And even you look it up on the wiki after you've made the choice. So you're not cheating, but you still satisfy your curiosity. And you realize there was no right choice. Any choice you made was going to have a consequence, good and bad. And it's just, it's very much like reality. We don't have perfect, this is the right way of doing things, choices. And I like to bring that into the games to make them more than just a dungeon crawl. Right, I think that's where some games can can fall short of you, you know, it's you make this decision and then the outcome is the same regardless of what decision you made besides for maybe like you get a different reward or um, a different, you know, I guess a different NPC being in power or something would be maybe a little bit more uh, important but sometimes games do that kind of like illusion of choice where they give you two options but like the story continues the same way regardless of what you do uh, very much like the fallout for uh dialogue trees you know? oh yeah no matter what you say <laughs> but you unlock like maybe a lit like an extra line of dialogue if you go a different direction but like for the most part like their response is always the same response um it's just a matter of like how mean you were when you with what you said <laughs> Oh, exactly. I I used to love the morality uh, meter on games like Knights of the Old Republic and everything until I realized that they don't really mean anything. You, you play Fable, and it just means how ugly you look and how powerful your evil spells are compared to your good spells. Um, but in this sort of... I, I love the Curse of Strahd. I'm going to use that as an example again because it is a sandbox. And he, as written, the thing I hate about it is... It's entirely, oh, Strahd sits there and waits for you to come up to him. Like It's just a level up grind until you get to the final boss. Like There's no reason to do anything else other than just to be ready. 
And so one of the biggest things I've done with it is I've given each faction something to do. Um, sort of like clocks in uh, the Blades in the Dark series. Yes. You know, while you're faffing about doing this or that, the other thing, okay, Granny Momo's going to keep selling pies and keep visiting different villages. Strahd is going to advance his own schemes. Uh, the uh, Morganatha is going to do her thing. And, like, everyone's going to keep doing things. The world is alive, whether you participate or not. And maybe you all die here and we never finish the campaign as written, but you had a bloody awesome campaign as far as you're concerned. And that's okay, because it's a player-led story. I'm just providing enough stuff going on that it's not a stagnant, we're going to wait for you to show up and then we're going to activate that zone. Yeah, and I think that's where single-player uh, games can fall short. Especially, it makes sense, like Skyrim and stuff. Like you're the main, you're the main character. You're like the main hero. Like it makes sense that stuff kind of revolves around you. But it can feel a little flat too when like there's this massive civil war happening, and like unless you do the quests, nothing actually happens. Or you know, Alduin is you know, raising dragons and stuff, but like nothing really that terrible actually happens unless you actually go, you know, con- continue the quests. Uh, stuff oh, yeah. doesn't move. I, I understand the like technical limitations of a video game um, not being able to just like generate unlimited content if you just sit there. But that is one of the, the areas where playing in an actual tabletop game, you can make it feel more real because you can push things forward regardless of if the players are doing anything. Exactly. And, uh, you know, in Skyrim's defense, you know, it's kind of tough to program an infinity engine, an infinity generation engine um, for games. But, uh, no, that's always been a failing. Actually, I was playing through Witcher 3 and my wife was watching and she was always egging me on like, come on, they said, hurry, you have to go to this person very quick. And I was always wandering off and doing side quests. And she just she didn't understand that there's this sort of hidden contract in single player RPG games that you can take as long as you want, as long as you get there. Cause everything's just going to wait for you. Cause what's it going to do? Continue the story without you. It's not really an option. I have heard of a few games that have had like invisible timers that will do certain things to you. Um, oh. But for the most part, it's gonna wait unless there's a timer on the screen you know that says like you have to complete this mission in 15 minutes you know or you fail you know which as a game design component isn't those aren't always that fun anyways um the one example that i've heard of is i believe it is the one of the deus ex games i haven't played it but i listened to somebody talk about it and basically, I think it's like the first mission is like a there's like a hostage situation and like some bombs or something that are going to go off. And they're like, hey, you got to hurry up and and save the people before the bombs go off. Right. And knowing that some people are just going to ignore the mission and wait, I think there's a certain time limit that they don't tell you about that. Just if you don't do it, like the hostages die <laughs> and, oh, wow. and then it like, you know, and then it tells you and it's like, oh, I like they weren't kidding i guess you know um i think yeah, imagine leaning on that trope so hard and then figuring out that they just pulled it out from underneath you on the first time <laughs> and i think in, in that scenario like you said they can't make an infinite you know game engine because it's just not feasible um 
I think in that situation, they were leaning on the like, we're just going to kind of make a point to the player here and kind of show them that there are consequences. Now, they may not be able to continue those consequences throughout the rest of the game, but just just kind of like a, oh, crap. <laughs> I, I The game is a little bit more intentional than I thought it was. Yeah, actually, that reminds me a good example of a game that doesn't care whether you play or not is the Hitman franchise. Like, the whole game simulates out whether you interact with it or not. Um, you can do something on the other side of the map, walk into the location opposite to that side of the map, and it will have effects across the entire chain, simply because it simulates the entire map simultaneously. So you can honestly replay and replay and replay it with different results each time, simply by choosing a different thing to do or not do, because the map doesn't care if you're there or not. Right, it's not the it's it's not like you walk into a room and then there's this like a scripted conversation and these people do this thing, and then yeah, no, like it, that happens every single time. Yeah, and those will always happen whether you're there or not. They will always have that conversation. They'll always go and grab that drink. They will always walk downstairs to investigate something, no matter what you do on the other parts of the map, unless you've interrupted their their pathing directly. So I kind of now that we're talking about it, I kind of think of what I like doing with my games, and I'm dabbling in a few different systems. I've got Scarlet Heroes that I'm trying to uh, try out a little bit. It's sort of almost like an AD&D clone, but it's meant for one to three players maximum, and you can even play it solo. Um, Blades in the Dark, I found some really great resources in there. I've started trying to run games, and I've played a game or two, and there are these great mechanics in these games that D&D doesn't take advantage of that just keep the story going. It keeps the world going, even if you're not there to experience it. Are you talking about like like stuff for factions and stuff, or like what mechanics specifically are you thinking of? Um, specifically with Blades, it would be a lot of the faction clocks in there. Like Just the fact that a clock can tick away just because you're wasting too much time is significant especially if you come from a DD sort of background where it's like okay now i the gm have to make up all the moves for this other group and i've got no framework to do it and i have no concept of what's reasonable or not reasonable um, and i now you're trying to over imagine every action that that other group is doing to reach their goals that's a lot of processing to do if you're trying to run an actual game as well so simply having the, the clock and be like, okay, well, Strahd, he's going to go and try and chase down this person. I'm going to put a 12-segment clock. And I'll fill in a segment every session that we play. And if they interrupt him, they interrupt him. If they don't, he succeeded. And just keeping it very low-resolution simulation in the background there. Which even not being super complex about it can still add a lot of realism and and kind of shows them areas that they can interact or see that like oh oh darn it stuff's happening without us and we we are too busy dealing with other stuff that we're we're just not going to be able to get to that thing yeah and that's where you having other people on the road i'm with a system i'm trying to refine a system of travel that adds weight to traveling 
but doesn't bog down and make it its own mini game. And right now it's kind of in the mini game section right now, and I'm trying to take it out of that into just another normal subsystem of D&D. But as they travel, not just going, oh, well, random encounter, you encounter this person today or that person, you know, making the travel more intentional. And I'll throw messengers and mailmen and uh, traders and people who are lost and other things, like just normal traffic on the road. Like you think Assassin's Creed franchise, you travel between the two major cities or three major cities or whatever, you're always bumping into people. And the more people you bump into, the more pissed off they get at you. But, uh, you know, there's always stuff going on. And I find that's a great way to telegraph rumors to my players to add depth. You know, I started taking uh, Gontaro Dim and added him to the game just to screw around with my players. And uh, and so I add people like Gontaro Dim and everything to my game simply to add texture and uh, allow me to telegraph different concepts and the fact that the world is changing and they're not there to see it. But the town that they just left, something just happened to it like a week ago. And now my players might choose to go and investigate that, or they might say, oh, well, they're on their own over there. We got our thing to do. And it just gives a sense that the world is far bigger than what's just being shown on screen. And there's no way that they could get everything on screen all at once. They've got to choose what's important to show. And when you're when they're doing like extensive traveling, do you also factor that into um, like progressing clocks more? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, some clocks in my game are, or actually most clocks in my game are more reactionary versus time-based right now, just the way the story is running. Um, so as my players accomplish this or make a name for themselves or interrupt something else, uh, that will start clocks and progress clocks. Uh, right now, the, the land that we're in is fairly static, so there's not a ton going on that's notable. So, but when things are, when things start getting rolling, then it'll definitely transition to more of a, okay, how many in-game days have you spent on this thing? And how much could the other person have gotten done in that time? Yeah, that makes sense. I hope so. My players are stuck with me. <laughs> I think the biggest thing, the summation of what I'm about is I don't care where the story goes. I am the biggest fan of my players and what they choose to do. And anything I do for prep is always about facilitating whatever choices they want to make in a sort of strange sort of way. Like I'm always prepared for whatever genre that they might do, even if I'm not prepared for that storyline. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've managed to get right as many things I've managed to get wrong had a great time talking to you and I am really excited to to take a look at some of this tabletop audio and playing around with the mixing a little bit more uh, the next time I have a game. So you will lose days. I promise you <laughs> absolute <laughs> days. a little nervous about that, but I completely understand. So <laughs> thanks for listening to this week's episode of the dungeon masters toolkit podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.